If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, as we pick up in verse 7. In this chapter of Isaiah, God is reaching out to Israel with both arms, saying, My hand is not shortened that I cannot save, but you will not repent. You continue to walk in your sins. Believe it or not, Israel wants to be saved without giving up their sins. They want to continue to walk in wickedness and iniquity and enjoy God's blessing anyway. So when we come to verse 7, God is still explaining why their prayers are going unanswered. In verse 7 it says, their feet run to evil. That is, they're not slowly walking toward it. They run toward it. It's their heart's desire. It's not that they make a mistake now and then. Their motivation in life is to run toward evil, run toward sin. It says, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. I mean, I don't know how that could possibly relate to our society in America today, but... How much innocent blood have we shed over the last few years? It says their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. So let's look at Romans chapter 3. That word wasting is an interesting word. We'll talk about it when we come back from Romans 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. If you, know, if you notice, this is a section in Romans where Paul is laying out the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verses 15 to 17 are quoted from Isaiah 59. But let's read starting in verse 9 to put it all in context. What then? Are we better than they? That is, are the Jewish people better than the Gentiles? And the answer is not at all. But that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says upantos, which means not entirely. Not entirely because the Jewish people have at least known what God's commandments were. That should have given them advantage, but to know is not enough. What does he say? You must also do. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have become together unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Isaiah is laying out the charges against Israel, and Paul says they apply to everyone, not just one nation, but all nations. So as we go back to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 7, the very last clause says, wasting and destruction in their past. 
What that word wasting means is violence. Violence. So they are quick to bring violence upon anyone that they disagree with or that they do not like. Verse 8 says, the way of peace they have not known. What did Messiah say about the peacemakers? Keep a finger here and go up to Matthew chapter 5 to the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Does this mean those who stop all war on the planet? Make peace between Jew and Gentile, make peace between brothers, make peace between neighbors. Yeah. So back to Isaiah 59.8, the way of peace they have not known. Why? They want violence, they want destruction, they like bloodshed, they like to kill. It brings them pleasure. And there is no justice in their ways. No justice is they care only about themselves. They don't care about other people. They have made themselves crooked paths. What way are we supposed to follow? The straight and narrow path, the Lord's path. But they say, no, no, we won't walk the Lord's path. We'll make our own path. And we'll make it as crooked as we can. It says, whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Let's talk about those crooked paths. Let's start in Isaiah 42, 16. Isaiah talks a lot about the path that we should walk versus the one we choose to walk. In Isaiah 42, we learn that Messiah came to take people off those crooked paths and to put them back on the way to follow Messiah, for he is the way. To be one flock following one shepherd going the way. In verse 16 of Isaiah 42 it says, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know and will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and the crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. This chapter is all about Messiah's coming, his death, burial, and resurrection his attempts to lead people back to the paths of righteousness. Back to make the crooked places straight. So the crooked paths to be made straight. Let's look at Matthew 3.3 3 in the New Testament. What does it say? Matthew chapter 3 verse 3. Matthew 3.3 3 says this was prophesied by Isaiah about John the Baptist whose job was to prepare the way for Messiah. It says for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight. And Matthew 3.3 3 says this is the explanation for verse 2. 
John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, preaching what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does it mean to make the crooked path straight? To repent. John came to call people to repentance before Messiah's ministry, and Messiah's whole ministry was to call people to repentance. How do we know that? Turn the page. Matthew 4.17 From the moment he defeats Satan after his 40 days of fasting verse 17 says from that time Yeshua began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to make the crooked path straight. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Because of what you just read. We just read in verse 10 that we may be partakers of his holiness. In verse 11 we read that it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet. What do we learn straight paths mean? Repent. So that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Do we have a question out there and go to meeting land? Okay, it's just bleeding through a little. All right, let us go back to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. What wisdom did Solomon have to share on this topic? Not what he did, but... What did he say? Proverbs 2, verses 10 to 15. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 10 to 15. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. What do they mean by knowledge? The knowledge of Torah. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, that is to take you off the wicked, evil, crooked path and bring you back to the straight and narrow. From the man who speaks perverse things, that is from the false teachers who are trying to lead you astray. Your knowledge of the scriptures should cause you to disregard and put aside the false teachings. Verse 13, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, that is, we turn away from them. Those who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. So from such, turn away. And you do that, as it says back here, the wisdom in your heart and knowledge in your soul when it's pleasant. When you desire to follow the commandments and statutes and ways of God, 
then the other things will no longer seem appealing to you. Isaiah 48, verse 22. Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That's talking about an eternity. When the wicked get cast in the lake of fire, how many of them do you think would want to change their mind at that point? But is it possible? No. A lot of eyes are going to get opened, but too late. Chapter 57 of Isaiah, verse 21. Just to tie it all together. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. For the believers, for those who walk in righteousness, we can look forward to the messianic kingdom where there will be no war. There will, they will not learn war anymore. The animals won't be dangerous. There won't be a world filled full of violence. We will have peace. But that's not for the wicked. Back to our chapter now, Isaiah 59, we're up to verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us. What's the therefore? Because of our sins, because we have turned our backs on God. Justice is far from us. Nor does righteousness overtake us. That's something that people should stop and think about for a minute. Some people think that God is just going to come grab me and make me do right. God gave us free will. If you want to walk in sin, he will send prophet after prophet to call repent, but he will not make you change your heart. You have to change your heart. So therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness. They want the light. They want God's blessing. They want to see righteousness, but they don't want to give up their sin to get there. How's that going to work out? Not so well. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. So Isaiah here is speaking on behalf of a contrite nation who's finally coming to learn that sin has consequences. They want the blessings, they want the light, and they're finally coming to realize that sin is what's keeping it from them. They don't know what to do. Turn up to Acts chapter 2. We had the same, same thing happen in Acts chapter 2. When the Apostle Peter preaches on that Shavuot that we call Pentecost and explains the sins of the people to them and when he does, they're broken of heart. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? They, they're very remorseful. They finally understand the gravity of the sin. And they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? To which you ought to stand back and go, they don't know what to do. 
So what does he tell them? Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are caught up in sin, stop, repent, turn back to God. What will God do when you repent? He will forgive and restore. Repentance brings forgiveness, brings restoration, brings glory. But can we just skip that repentance step and get right? No, you can't. Go to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 helps us know what light Isaiah is talking about. So many people teach today that repentance is a work and therefore you're trying to earn your salvation if you repent. But is that what the Bible teaches? It's absolutely not. Make your crooked path straight. Doesn't teach that in the scripture, does it? No. Nope. Yeah. Zechariah 14. What light is Isaiah talking about? Zechariah illuminates that for us, if you'll forgive the pun. Didn't even know it was one, did you? Okay. Zechariah 14, verses 6 and 7. Well, let's start with the last line of five. The last sentence says, Thus the Lord my God will come. And all the saints with you. This is talking about the return of Messiah at the end of the tribulation period to establish the messianic kingdom on earth. It says, It shall come to pass in that day. What day? Day of the Lord. That's when all Israel gets saved, as Paul said in Romans 11, 26 and 27. Shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. What does the light represent? Righteousness. What does the darkness represent? Evil. So at the end of the tribulation period, how is the world? Is it bathed in righteousness and goodness and justice? No, quite the opposite. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. The Torah sages say that light is the dawning of salvation to the Jewish people and to the world. And they're right. Messiah will come and he will bring that light to the world. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We who call ourselves believers in Messiah, should we walk in darkness? No, we walk in the light. But don't take my word for it. Let's go look it up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 4 through 11. Verse 3 is about the labor pains, which is a term for the tribulation period in the day of the Lord. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Paul's assuming that by brethren, he's talking to people who are saved by faith who are walking in the light of Messiah. They're not walking in darkness. So he says, you're not walking in darkness. Because he says, if you're walking in darkness, then you're not the brethren. 
You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That's a reference to the old wedding ceremony. What did the potential bride do when she was waiting for the bridegroom to come get her? She kept a light in the window. She kept watch, for she didn't know when the bridegroom would come. Could the bridegroom come to her house and get her? No. He and a witness had to stop away from the house, had to blow a shofar and shout for the bride. And the bride who has made herself ready would come out of the house and come to meet them where they are. And then they would go together back to the father's house. It's a big picture. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. That reminds me of a plaque in one of my favorite diners. I shouldn't say it, but it just makes me chuckle. It says, you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Let's not get drunk at all. Okay, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober. That's what Paul says. Don't be drunk at all. Be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He's talking about the tribulation period, which is when God pours out his wrath. And what does verse 9 say? God did not appoint us to wrath. That's not our future. Our future is to go in the rapture, to obtain salvation through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, that is whether we die as a believer before Messiah comes or whether we live until he comes. We should live together with him. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Have any of you noticed that this world is getting very hard? Life is hard these days. And if you watch the news, it's so depressing. Is the world getting better and better? That's the teaching of the amillennials, that the world is just getting more and more righteous till pretty soon it's going to be holy and completely righteous. What world are they living in? The world I live in, it's hard. But why do we hang in there? Because we know what's coming. That Trump is going to blow and we're going to go home. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So let's go back to Isaiah 59 before I get too preachy. We're up to verse 10. This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of Israel, saying, We grope for the wall like the blind. Why does the, the blind grope for the wall? Because they don't know the path to walk. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We're as dead men in desolate places. What's caused that blindness? Let's go to the book of Hosea. Hosea means salvation. It's another form from the same verb from which we get the name Yeshua. Hosea chapter 4. Hosea 4 sounds much like Isaiah 59. Start in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. 
For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. And why? To go down to verse 6. God tells us why. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priests for me. Because you've forgotten the Torah, the law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of your God. I also will forget your children. Remember Deuteronomy 8.11. If you forget the commandments of God, you have forgotten God. So the solution, turn to chapter 6. Verse 1, Hosea 6, 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. Repentance. Repentance. Verse 3 says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. How do we gain the knowledge of the Lord? We study the scriptures. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. It will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. That verse means if you want to know when the second coming of the Lord is, go back and study Leviticus 23. See how he fulfilled the prophecies of the first coming. Did he fulfill them sort of? About? Or did he fulfill them exactly? So how will he fulfill the second coming prophecies? The very same way. Because God does not change. Go back to Isaiah 59 verse 11. We all growl like bears. And moan sadly like doves. You know, that verse is a little more interesting if you look at the Hebrew. What is the Hebrew word for bear? It's dove. <laughs> Dove or dove, yeah. And the word for dove is Yonah, as in Jonah. So we all growl like bears. Why do growl, bears growl? Are they nice animals coming to be petted? They're, they're grumpy. They're coming to eat you. And moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. Why? They want salvation. But they want it without repentance. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 77. This is a section of prophecy, it tells us in verse 67. It says, now his father Zechariah, that's the father John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, in verse 77, is to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. What does it take to get in remission of your sins? Repentance. And knowledge of salvation, that's of Messiah. 
So he's saying that John the Baptist is here to prepare the way. And he did that. He preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance doesn't bring salvation. That takes faith. But if you have faith, that will cause you to come to repentance. Luke chapter 2 verse 30. Messiah is 40 days old. 40 days old. And there's a man named Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is the Messiah. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he says in verse 30, as he looks upon this 40-day-old baby, which is our Messiah Yeshua, says, For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In the Holy Spirit he prophesies and says, God told me I would not die until I saw the Messiah and now I've seen it with my own eyes. What a beautiful testimony that is. And then Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. That should cause us to go, what? God says a man is high priest for life. How can we have two? It tells you that Israel's not following God's commandments. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist's. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Did you notice that word filled in verse 5? From plurao? Did every valley get abolished? In every mountain? No, of course not. That's not what plurao means. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 is about Yeshua, our Messiah. Yeshua Hanotsri, Yeshua the Nazarene. Verse 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
So Yeshua truly did bring salvation to mankind. And there is salvation in no other. In John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Go to Acts 13. Verse 47, we're still talking about Messiah is that light. He is the only light. He's always been the only light that leads us to God. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Why is he salvation for Jews and Gentiles both? There's only one God. There's only one way. Acts 28, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. In Romans 1.16, the very next page, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who, what, believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek or the Gentile. For the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revealed from faith to faith as it's written. The just shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk 2.4. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Did Paul just say, get saved or die? Yeah. Yeah, get saved or die. But they left us a choice, right? Go back to Isaiah 59. They were looking for salvation. But they weren't following God's path. God's way to find it. Let's go back to Romans 10.10. Romans 10.10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Romans 10.10, if your heart has truly turned to God and you embrace God in faith and love, what will that cause? Repentance, it will cause a change in your life. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. If you believe in God, then you must turn from your sins and walk in his ways. Otherwise, you don't truly believe. The only way you can walk in sin is to believe that either there is no God or that God will not do what he said he would do. 
and that is to bring wrath upon all ungodliness. So if with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, we must confess that Yeshua is the Lord. But first you've got to believe it. When you say Yeshua is the Lord, what does the word Lord mean? He's my master. He's the one I serve. He's the one I obey. He's the one I follow. I walk his path. He's my shepherd. I'm the sheep. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul did. Does verse 1 say continue in sin, it's okay? Absolutely not. It says the very opposite, doesn't it? And let's look at verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to what? Salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow is sorrow over our sins. We don't want to be that way anymore. So in Isaiah 59, God is speaking about Israel. They want salvation, but they don't want to give up their sins. They want it both ways. What do you call it when you have one foot in heaven and one in the lake of fire? You call it lukewarm. How does that work out for the Laodiceans in Revelation 3? Yeah, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. God lets you choose, but you have to choose. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The hymn here is Messiah, Yeshua. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Faith. Then Philippians 2.12. Who wrote Philippians? Paul did. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Does it mean earn your salvation? No. It means walk the walk of a true believer. Demonstrate your salvation to the world by your changed heart, by your changed path. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go back there for just a moment because we just read it. I just like to bring it up whenever I can. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I was listening to another Messianic leader just this week saying, I get angry every time somebody mentions the pre-trib rapture. Because when it doesn't happen, people are going to renounce their faith and give up God altogether. Well, my response to him is, when it happens, I'm going home. And you can stay if you want to. But God said we're not appointed to wrath. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. These verses are so important because in Isaiah chapter 59, people say, well, how should Israel have known the word of the Lord? Did they have the Old Testament scriptures? They did. Are the Old Testament scriptures sufficient to make you wise in the salvation in Messiah? Yes, they are. Last verse on this topic, Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, 9. Maybe I should have led with this one. And having been perfected, which means brought to spiritual maturity, he became the author of eternal salvation to, to whom? All who obey him. Does that mean if I'm still walking in sin, I'm not saved? Sure sounds that way, doesn't it? Only because, yeah, that's what it means. Go back to Isaiah 59, verse 12. For, what does for mean? Because. Our transgressions are multiplied before you. That's the opposite of repentance. That means they continue to sin more and more and more. You know, that's the way sin tends to be. Kind of like a slippery slope. Let me just start out a little bit. Let me just play with a little bit. 
And pretty soon what happens, the conscience gets seared and it takes more and more and more to give you those thrills. Until before you realize it, you've lost all control. So our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. What does he mean our sins testify against us? Keep your finger and go back to Deuteronomy 8. I referred to it, but let me have you turn back and look at it with your own eyes. Remembering that Deuteronomy 8.3 is where Messiah gets the quote, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. In verse 11 it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. If you are not keeping his commandments, you can tell God all day long how much you love him. And what does the Bible say? But you don't. You've forsaken him. You've forgotten him. Don't you wish you could be your judge come judgment day? And you could judge yourself based on what you think is right and wrong. Unfortunately, the world doesn't work that way. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. They're with us because we have not repented of them. We've not turned away. And as for our iniquities, we know them. It's not that we didn't realize we were sinning, we know. Verse 13, in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God. In transgressing, we understand that's sinning. What's it mean lying against the Lord? What, all those false prophets teaching people to go astray? Teaching people that God doesn't care about sin. And departing from our God, that's Deuteronomy 8.11. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. What's a falsehood? It's a lie. When it says conceiving and uttering from the heart, it means we tell the lie because that's what we believe. That's what we want to be true is the lie. But turn up to Revelation 21 which tells us what is the fate of all liars. Revelation 21 verse 8. It begins with but. And this truly is but. So let's look at verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son, but. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, that word is pharmakia, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Does it say all those, unless they have taken a walk down an island at church one day? No. It means all those who are unrepentant of these sins. 
They may think they're saved. They may tell God they're his children, but they're not. They're just lying to themselves. And that's what 1 John 2 is all about. So let's go back to 1 John 2. Because we mentioned the word liars. First John 2, verses 3. We'll go all the way through 6 today. We read last night that the way you can tell the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil is do they keep God's commandments or not? Is that not what it said? That's what it said. This says essentially the same thing. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says Elohim does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. For those who were not here last night, that verse about manifest is in 1 John 3.10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, meaning made obvious, easy to see. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Back to Isaiah 59, we're up to verse 14. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands afar off. For because truth is fallen in the street. What is truth? Psalm 119 verse 142. Torah, the law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. And equity cannot enter. Equity cannot enter means people do not treat each other properly. Equity is treating one's fellow man fairly. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. That means not only do they not want to walk in righteousness, but they want to persecute, to shut up those who do want to walk in righteousness. Boy, that doesn't sound like today at all, does it? Oh, my goodness. Just read this morning in the news, there's a group of students that are suing their teacher because the teacher has a certain bulletin board on which she's got some Bible verses posted. So they're suing and they will win and she will lose her job. Because America will not stand someone teaching the truth today. Verse 15, so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey, makes himself a victim. The others want to destroy them, to shut them up. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. When the wicked destroyed the righteous, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. That's one of the signs Messiah gives us that his return is near. Matthew 24, 9. 
Verses 5 through 8 are the first four seals of Revelation. Is there a question from the go to meeting land? No, the baby just grabbed my phone, sorry. <laughs> okay, no problem. Going back on mute. Matthew 24, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. It used to be not uncommon for preachers to go out on the city square and start preaching. Have you seen news incidents lately where a preacher has done that and the crowds come and beat him senseless and the cops haul him off to jail? Because they don't want to hear the truth. And this is going to be the fifth seal, that the persecution of the martyrs. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. That's today. Was it true in Isaiah's time? Yep. Luke eleven forty seven says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. How did Manasseh kill Isaiah? He had him put in a log and had the log sawn in two with Isaiah in it. Why did they kill the prophets who were preaching repentance? They didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear it. So Isaiah in verse 15 really prophesies his own death. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Yes. I have a question. Go ahead. Is there a book or a historical record where you we know that Isaiah was sold into? Well, if we go up to the book of Hebrews. The answer is yes. In the commentaries of old, they tell us who. But in Hebrews 11, it says, verse 36, Hebrews 11, 36. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. That's Isaiah. We're tempted, we're slain with the sword. Yep. Is there any place in the New Testament where it says there's going to come a time where they don't want to hear right teaching? 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. It's hard to read 2 Timothy 4 and not think of today. Second Timothy four verse one. Preach the word. Which word? Yeah, the whole word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Does it bring tears to your eyes when you watch on the news and see churches protesting the doing away with Roe versus Wade? Churches blessing abortion centers and abortion providers. Verse 4, and they will turn away their ears from the truth. They don't want to hear God's commandments anymore. They say, we'll do what we want to do, and then we'll all be saved in the end. And that's what it means to be turned aside to fables. Back to Isaiah 59. Verse 16. Continues verse 15, the second half, which is why in my Bible there's a space in verse 15. So verse 15, and it's in the Lord saw it displeased him because there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, that is no man to preach repentance, to preach rightness. No one standing in the offices of prophet, priest, or king outside of Isaiah. And wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness it sustained him. Since there was no one in this world pushing righteousness, preaching repentance, preaching turning back to God. God had to send his only begotten son. So and they were unwilling to turn back to repentance. Isaiah 53 sent his only begotten son to try and turn us back. What did Messiah teach us in the parables? That the vineyard owner sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And then finally he sent his son saying they will honor the son. And what did they do? They killed him. I heard something interesting about that parable. Good and loud. I heard something interesting about that parable that I never really thought about. You know, in that parable it talks about you know, all the people were, were sent, you know, with a message. Right. The same message. And when he decided to send his son, he didn't send his son with a different message. He sent him with the same message. That's Matthew chapter 4, isn't it? Verse 17. He began immediately to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same as John the Baptist had been preaching and the prophets before him. I mean, the purpose of what this guy was saying was, you know, if there was, you know, a new law or Jesus was doing away with the Torah or anything, it would have been a different message. Would have been a different message, but it wasn't, was it? And... By Amos 3.7, there would have been a prophecy in the Old Testament that, hang on, hang on, I'm going to change the law, just give me time. And something that big and monumental would have been all over the place. Would have been all over the place. We would read all through the New Testament about how synagogue after synagogue says, forget Shabbat, I'm embracing Sunday now. But do you see it? Nowhere. Do you see the 
Church is sitting down having a big pig roast anywhere in the New Testament. The answer is no. You see pigs running into the sea to drown them. Yes, that's true. But the Christians, the believers, they're not eating them. We have been misled. So verse 16, because there was no one to lead them back. God gave them prophets, priests, and kings. Did the kings lead them to God or into idolatry? Did the priests teach the righteousness of God? Did they preach the scriptures? Or did they turn to where their motivation was money? Where does it say, and the priest taught for pay? That's in Micah. Let's go look at Micah. What is their motivation? To lead people to God or to fill their pockets? Micah chapter 3 verse 11. Her heads refer to the kings, the leaders, the judges, whose responsibility was to lead them in ways of righteousness. But it says her heads judge for a bribe. And her priests teach for pay. When Messiah sent out his apostles, his disciples, two by two, what percentage did he tell them to take from everybody? Was it 5%? Was it 10%? Let's go look. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Oh, look at that. Freely you have received, freely give. The point is what? What must our motivation be? Our motivation should be to bring others to salvation, to rescue them from the lake of fire, not what kind of a house can I buy and what kind of an airplane. I only have three airplanes. He has four. I must make amends. Go back to Isaiah chapter 59. Verse 17, for he, that's Messiah he, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Let's go to Ephesians 6. We studied last night to make your implements, implements of righteousness, not sin. And we saw that that word is also translated as armor and as weapons. How do we defend ourselves against Satan? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. What's truth? Torah. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. This is how you defend yourself from the attacks of the devil. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. Paul says, don't forget to pray for me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Didn't God protect Paul everywhere he went to protect him from danger? Paul was imprisoned, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. You see why he's saying, pray for me that I can continue to speak boldly as I ought to. I mean, I would think after the second or third beating and stoning, you might be kind of shy and timid. But Paul said, I can't be like that. I have to speak out. Whatever they do, I must speak. We need to have that same kind of boldness. Verse 18, Isaiah 59, verse 18. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries. Recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. Uh oh. What are the coastlands? The Gentile nations that have persecuted Israel. What's going to happen to them when God restores Israel? Oh, yeah, they're going to get payback, aren't they? Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 and 66 are about the return of the Lord for his second coming. Isaiah 65, 13 to 14. Isaiah 65, verses 13 to 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Actually, the Lord, the Lord, isn't it? If you're looking at the Hebrew. Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Talking about the nations that have afflicted Israel all these years. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. When the Lord comes back, do you want to be his servant or his enemy? It's going to be one or the other. Isaiah 66 describes it further. First in verses 5 and 6. So first, Isaiah 66, verses 5 to 6 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, let the Lord be glorified that they may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. The sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Again, you've got the Lord's servants and you've got his enemies. In verses 14 to 17, we see it again. There's only two classes, his servants 
and his enemies. When you see this, that is the Lord comforting Jerusalem, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord, that's his protection and defense, shall be known to his servants and his indignation to his enemies. Which do you want to be? For behold, the Lord will come with fire, with fire judgment, with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh, and the abomination of the mouth shall be consumed together, says the Lord. What more evidence do you need that the Lord did not declare all piggies clean than to see what the Lord's going to do to those that are eating the piggy when he returns at the end of the tribulation period? Yeah, but what does the book of Acts say? The Old Testament was given to us that we may learn from it. Learn from it, not ignore it. All righty, back to Isaiah. Of course, I know we're in Isaiah. But chapter 59, verses 19 and 20 and 21. 19 says, so th shall they fear, they being who? His enemies. The name of the Lord from the west in his glory from the rising of the sun. So who's going to come to fear or reverence in awe of the name of the Lord? Everybody. When the Lord returns, what happens to all those that are not saved? They die. When the enemy comes in like a flood, even in my Bible they put a note here, see Revelation 12, 15. Yeah, that's the armies of Satan. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. That standard, that Nasea is our Messiah. I don't know why Satan still thinks he can win this battle. We've read the end. The Redeemer. Who's the Redeemer? That's Yeshua, our Messiah. The Redeemer will come to Zion or Zion. But before we read any more of 20, let's go look at Zechariah chapter 14. Well, I've not asked him. But if I were in his shoes, I think I'd be on my knees begging for forgiveness, and he's not. It could simply be he wants to take as many people with him as possible. Because he's just not a nice guy. But isn't he being portrayed that way in children's stories and all today? That Satan's really a nice guy. He's just misunderstood. How dangerous is that? You've read that in the city of Boston, the church of Satan is petitioning to have their flag flown on City Hall. If you've ever been to Boston, you're not surprised. Zechariah 14 is the 
tribulation period. Verse 14, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. It's at hand. It's here. The day of the Lord's a thousand-year period. Starts with the rapture and resurrection and goes to the new heavens and the new earth. Give me scriptures that support a day as the Lord is a thousand years. Psalm 90, verse 4, 2 Peter 3, 8. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. This suggests that all the nations of the world are trying to get Israel to divide the land. Can you believe that? Anyone who's seen the news believes that. Biden is on his way to Israel to tell them that they can't allow Jews to go up and pray on the Temple Mount because that's not theirs. That Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine, not Israel. What happens to America every time a president does something like that? Natural disasters hit, don't they? So let's watch and see what's going to happen here. Your spoil will be dividing midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. This would never, ever have been possible had we not created what? The United Nations. The United Nonsense. No other time in history could all nations of the world have gathered together for a common cause and a common purpose. The city shall be taken. What city? Jerusalem? Jerusalem. The house is rifled. What's that mean? Pillaged. And the women ravished. You know what that means. Are these godly soldiers? They are not. Half the city shall go into captivity. In other words, half of it is going to go to be capital of the Palestinian state. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. What was the last straw? Trying to divide Jerusalem. And in that day, oh now we know when it takes place, the day of the Lord. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. How bad does it get? Verse 12. This shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. But then Armageddon's over. And once Armageddon's over, then all the nations of the world are going to come to Jerusalem. That's verse 16. It shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. They're going to come from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, all nations. So let's go back to Isaiah 59. Remember, we're in the portion of Isaiah where God said, ask the pagan idols to prophesy, and they said nothing. He said, now stand back and watch me. And he prophesies what's going to happen from Isaiah's day through the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah to the messianic kingdom to the new heavens and the new earth. He says, now you know who's God. 
So verse 20, the Redeemer, that's Messiah, Yeshua, will come to Zion. Zion is Zion, prophetic Jerusalem. Where was Messiah crucified? On the Temple Mount. He ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. Where is he returning back to? We just read it. The Mount of Olives. He will come back to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. What's another way of saying who turn from transgression? Those who repent. Those who come back to righteousness. Says the Lord. So when Messiah returns, what does Isaiah chapter 4 tell us about the state of the nation of Israel? They're desperate for Messiah to come back. Let's go to Isaiah 4. Verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord, that's Messiah, shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth, that's the believers, shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped, escaped the tribulation period. Those who enter the messianic kingdom alive in their human mortal bodies shall come to pass that he who's left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who's recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. That's the tribulation period. The Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day. The shining of a flaming fire by night. That's how God dwelt with Israel in the wilderness. For over all the glory there will be a covering. What kind of a covering? That's a chuppah, marriage canopy. Who lives under a marriage canopy? The bridegroom and the bride. There should be a tabernacle. Oh, the Lord's so clever. Which festival teaches this establishment of the kingdom? Tabernacles, Sukkot. There will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Zechariah 13 also tells us how is it that Israel went from being a sinful nation to one who's repented and come back to God? What did it take? That's Zechariah 13. Verse 7 is about Messiah's crucifixion and about the diaspora, the 2,000 years of wandering. Verses 8 to 9 are about the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. Shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. Does Messiah say it's the worst tribulation the world's ever known? Yes, in the Holocaust, a third of Israel died. In the tribulation period, it's going to be two-thirds. Verse 9 says, I'll bring the one-third through the fire. Fire is what? Fire is judgment. Refining them as silver is refined. Silver is put through the fire seven times. How many years is the tribulation period? Seven years. And test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I'll answer them. I'll say, this is my people. And each one, underline that or circle it, each one will say, the Lord is my God. So everyone that enters into the millennial kingdom alive is because they are believers in Messiah. So let's go back and finish chapter 
59, we still have time and we'll get into chapter 60. So Isaiah 59, 21 says, Ask for me, says the Lord. This is my covenant with them, with those who survive, with those who come to faith. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. That is, Israel will serve God, bless God and honor God from that point forward even forever. That covenant in verse 21 is the new covenant of Jeremiah 31. So let's go to Jeremiah 31 and see it. See what the Lord means by the words I put in their mouth. Jeremiah 31. When churches today say, well, we're a new covenant church, they don't understand what they're saying. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, that Hebrew word is Torah, the very same word, in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I'll remember no more. This is not yet fulfilled. It gets fulfilled during the tribulation period when all Israel gets saved. So when they enter into the kingdom, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. The word of God is written upon their hearts and minds. The commandments, statutes, and judgments of God are in their hearts. It's on their tongues. It's their way of life. And never again will we turn away from God as we have in the past. So now let's go to chapter 60 of Isaiah which just gets more exciting because it continues the theme of the Lord is coming back soon. I thought about playing the song by Barry Siegel called Kumi Ori. Have you ever heard it? Oh, it's a great song. It's from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, which begins, Arise, shine. Arise is Kumi, shine is Ori. And both those words are commandments. Kumi, arise, ori, shine. And it's talking about Jerusalem and Israel. It's time to arise from the nations of exile and come back to the land. It's time to turn away from the sins, arise to God, come back to God, and shine the light of Messiah, the light of salvation across the world. So Messiah is coming, it's time, it's time, arise and shine, for your light has come. That light is the light of Messiah. We're talking about the kingdom here. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 2 to 7. 
It tells us who this light is. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness. Darkness is being away from God. Walking in sin. Not following the ways of righteousness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That great light is Messiah. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. That is, you brought him back out of captivity. The rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire, meaning no more war, no more need for such garments. For because unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Child is born as the first coming, son is given as the second coming. And the government, that is the government of Israel as well as the world, will be upon his shoulder. They will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, El Gabor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father is Father of Eternity, is Ad Olam, it's a word pair. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He is that light that shines in the darkness. In Isaiah 4, we just read about him appearing in the pillar of fire and pillar of smoke, as he did in the wilderness. And remember when Israel had his back to the Red Sea and they're panicking? Here comes the might of Egypt. We're doomed and when God appeared in that pillar of fire and smoke, the light shined on Israel, but darkness to Egypt out of the same pillar. He is that light. He's always been that light. He'll always be that light. Go back to Exodus 16. Exodus 16. Verse 10. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. What was the light in the cloud? It was the glory of the Lord. In Ezekiel 43, when Messiah returns, he returns as what? The glory of the Lord. The same glory of the Lord that shone in the pillar of fire in the wilderness will be over the buildings of Jerusalem that we read about in Isaiah chapter 4. Isn't that cool? Go back to Zechariah 14. And we're just going to do the short version since we've looked at it already. Zechariah 14. 
the last part of 5 through 7. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. Who are the saints that are coming with Messiah? Are those the angels? No, they're the rapture and resurrected saints. How can we return with Messiah if we have not been with Messiah? Hmm. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. What's it mean that there will be no light? By the time Messiah returns, what is the condition of the world? Is it a godly, righteous, religious world? Or is it a world of pure evil, pure darkness? That's what it means. There will be no light. Lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. That light is the Lord my God returning, or Messiah Yeshua returning with all the saints. The light returns to the world. And notice the next verse, verse 8, And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. What did we learn in John 7, verses 37 and following? Those living waters mean the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to flow from the Temple Mount like it's never flown before. Let's go to Psalm 7, verse 6. Psalm 7, verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. This is looking at that word arise. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So when Israel rises up to stand for the Lord, the Lord rises up to bring judgment upon the nations that have turned against God. I want to follow that theme a little more. Psalm 919. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Particularly referring to the false messiah, the antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Continuing that theme of arrive, go to Psalm 10, verse 2. The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. In other words, what they plan to do to Israel is going to come down on their own head. Psalm 44, 23. Closely associated with the rise is the verb awake. In Psalm 44, 23, it says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Meaning when the Lord arises for judgment in the day of the Lord, it's going to lead to the restoration of the children of Israel back to the land. Psalm 
as Messiah comes to rule and reign from this time and forevermore. Psalm 68. Verse 1. Psalm 68, verse 1. Let God arise. What happens when God arises? Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee from before him. When God arises for judgment in the day of the Lord, who can withstand his judgment? Nobody. So let's not be there. Psalm 82, verse 8. Psalm 82, verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth. That's the tribulation period. For you shall inherit all nations. When Messiah returns and the tribulation period is over and he establishes the kingdom, what portion of the earth does he rule over? Every bit of it. For you shall inherit all nations. Psalm 102, verse 13. Verse 13, you will arise and have mercy on Zion, Zion, for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. What is that word, set time? Moed, the appointed time. So the Lord's return is tied to the appointed times of Leviticus chapter 23. Who would have guessed that? Anyone who's read chapter 23 of Leviticus. But what's the point here? In Isaiah 60, verse 1, it's about Israel arise. But Israel's arising because God is arising. They rise up together. When Israel calls on the Lord to return, Matthew 23, verse 37 says what? He's returning. Psalm 112, verse 4. Unto the upright. What's another term for upright? The righteous. There arises light in the darkness. Psalm 112 verse 4. However dark the world gets in the tribulation period. Upon the upright the light will shine in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. He he refers to the light. Who is that light? That's Messiah. Psalm 132, verse 8. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Where's that resting place? According to Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7. It's the Temple Mount on the mercy seat. 
you and the ark of your strength. You may not know where the ark is, but the Lord does. And that's going to be his throne where he will sit forever and ever. Go back to Psalm 119. Verse 126. When will God arise? Why didn't he arise a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago? What's he been waiting on? For it to be time, yes, but Psalm 119 verse 126 says, It's time for you to act, O Lord, for they have treated your law as void. Has there been any time in this world that you can think of more than today when people treat the law as void? I know I'm older than dirt. But when I was in elementary school, we stood up and we said the Pledge of Allegiance and we repeated prayers and you could read the Bible. Could you do that in a public school today? Oh no. Why? Because they have regarded your law as void. Messiah said what in Matthew 24? Because lawlessness will abound, what? Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. It can't grow cold if it was always cold. He's talking about people who call themselves believers, who've decided that the law doesn't apply anymore. Well, if that was describing today, we would see things like homosexuals being ordained to the ministry. Ministers performing gay marriages, that kind of stuff. You don't see that today, do you? Yeah, we do. Lawlessness will abound. How many preachers have I heard teach on this verse? When they come to that word lawlessness, they talk about people speeding in school zones and running stop signs. Is that the kind of lawlessness this is talking about? No, it's not. Go to Ezekiel 43 for a moment. Ezekiel 43 is where Messiah returns as the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel 43 verse 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. I'm not being tongue-in-cheek. That's the eastern gate of the Temple Mount, the one that faces the Mount of Olives, where Messiah will return. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel, that's Messiah, came from the way of the east. He comes from the Mount of Olives, where Zechariah 14 said he touched down. His voice was like the sound of many waters. That's the way his, his voice is described in Revelation 1.15. And the earth shone with his glory. Verse 7, he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Um, he can't come into the temple if there isn't one. 
if this is getting close to being fulfilled, there should be talk about rebuilding a third temple. And just this past week, the rabbis began to cut the stones for the next temple. They did it on Independence Day in Israel. They're actually cutting the stones, not just the cornerstone. That's been there for 30 years. I've seen that myself. But they're making all the stones for the temple. In their view, they say the, the construction of the third temple has begun. That to me is exciting. Mm -mm -mm. What's our time like? Almost gone, but not quite. So we can get to verse 2. Isaiah 60, verse 2. For behold, what does behold mean? Some importance coming, right? The darkness shall cover the earth. That's going to be the state of the world right before Messiah returns. Darkness represents sin, the absence of light. I'm not even going to ask, does that sound like the world today? Because we all know it does. In deep darkness, the people. Not just darkness, but deep darkness. That is, at least in the 50s, in the 60s, People pretended to believe in God. And many of them actually did. But the Lord will arise over you. That is when it seems that the world has grown the most dark. That's when the light will arise. Messiah will arise. And his glory will be seen upon you. Let's go look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. If you're not ready for the Lord's return, I say get ready. Don't wait. <coughs> Romans 2, 17 to 20. Just think about the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. They all expected to go, but only half of them were ready. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. But then verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And it goes on and on. His point is that we have a responsibility to preach the word to the nations. But we must live what we preach. What happens when we preach to others, you must repent and stop sinning, but we won't repent ourselves? We, co we condemn ourselves, don't we? We become a juridical parable. 
where the answer condemns the answer. And with that, we have run out of time. We'll pick up in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2 next time, because we've only begun to scratch the surface.